Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's critical that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping to solve some of the most important conservation issues that we face today. For nearly a century, Rolex has backed explorers and innovators who strive to understand and protect our natural world. In this series, we'll dive into the stories of those people who are at the forefront of the quest to keep the planet perpetual. In this episode, I get to talk to legendary explorer, oceanographer, and Rolex testimony, Sylvia Earle. Sylvia has dedicated her life to protecting the oceans. She's led more than 50 deep sea expeditions and clocked more than 7,000 hours underwater. In 2014, Rolex partnered with her organization, Mission Blue, which inspires people around the world to protect the ocean. Mission Blue now works directly with communities in more than 69 countries to restore their marine environments. Hi, Sylvia. Such an honor to speak with you. Well, I'm glad to be on board. So, Sylvia, can you talk about what originally drew you to the oceans? Why are you so interested in the sea? When I was three years old on a Jersey shore, I got knocked over by a wave and the ocean got my attention. But what has held my attention all these years is life in the ocean. I mean, it's great to be swimming in the ocean, diving in the ocean, because you feel weightless. The things you cannot easily do on the land, like stand on one finger, <laughs> you can do so easily in the ocean. It, it's like flying. It's just magic. That, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I got knocked over as a kid in the sea as well, and, and now I don't go back. You know, I don't, I don't really love the water. <laughs> so it, it's just interesting that you had that kind of experience and it drew you in and, and you know, sort of gave you a lifelong passion for, for marine environments. Yeah, it not only drew me in, it drew me under. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it is life in the ocean, though. It's endlessly fascinating. There's so many things in the ocean that don't occur anywhere on the land. I mean, one startling realization is that only about 10% of the ocean has been seen, let alone explored. And every time I go diving, I see not only new behaviors, new ways of looking at the creatures that are there, but new kinds of creatures. You know, there's a friend who uses a special kind of diving, rebreather diving, to be able to go deeper than standard scuba divers can go. He goes down to 100 meters or more, and he finds as many as a dozen new kinds of fish per hour of time that he spends at 100 meters or so. I mean, what else is out there that we're missing? It's interesting. I actually just spent the uh, month of February on an expedition in the rainforest, basically, or cloud forest, the, the Guiana Highlands. And it was pretty wild because there was a biologist on the trip and he'd spent his entire career researching frog species. And mm -hmm. on the trip, he thought he found several new species of frog. And to me at the time, it seemed totally incredible that, that in this day and age, humans could discover several new species just by venturing deeper into the jungle. 
But what you're describing in the ocean puts that to shame. You know, I thought it was so cool that we came home with a handful of new specimens and potentially some new species of frog. And, you know, you're talking about finding, you know, dozens of new species an hour on on a relatively standard dive. I mean, that's crazy. It's what we should expect, given what we do know about the ocean, the great diversity of life and the great unknowns. So fundamentally, the the purpose of Mission Blue is to provide a space for those species to sort of repopulate? I mean, is the, is the goal of Hope Spots to provide some habitat so that these threatened species can, can basically blossom again? Well, the, the, the real mission is twofold. One, yes, provide safe havens for the diversity of life in the ocean, really a network of hope, but at the same time to communicate to people about why it matters to take care of the natural systems that make our existence possible. Mission Blue is a nonprofit that started mm, 11 years ago, but actually it's a reflection of something that has been a lifetime objective of mine, and that is to, to try to take care of the ocean in the way that years ago we began taking care of the land by identifying critical areas and then trying to do everything possible to to protect those areas. The places that Mission Blue focuses on we call hope spots. But so what do hope spots look like? Like how do, how are they different from the rest of the ocean? The first series of hope spots just seems so obvious. Places that are already acknowledged to be of magnified importance in terms of how the world functions the polar regions, the Arctic, the Antarctic, the Galapagos Islands, the Sargasso Sea, Palau, the Patagonian region, the, the fjords of Chile. So we started with a dozen areas of that nature. But since then, we've asked people around the world to be champions for places that, to them, are special and to develop a baseline of information to characterize the places that they know and care about. So 136 areas now have been championed by individuals, by people, by organizations around the world to create what we like to think of as a, as a network of hope. So can you talk about how exploring the ocean over your lifetime has led to your desire to promote conservation efforts or basically how your personal exploration has led to conservation now? I mean, all my life, I've heard people say when they find something new, hmm, this is an odd little thing. I wonder what it's good for. As if you have to explain how it serves humankind. Is it good to eat? Is it going to eat me? Um, what, what is it good for or bad for? And, I mean, maybe it just exists as a part of that which makes life possible. And that, that should be good enough. Well, fundamentally, the most important thing that we extract from the ocean is our existence. We exist. It's possible for us to live, to breathe, to have have life because the ocean is here, the living ocean. It's not just rocks and water. It's an ocean with a history 
that goes back more than four billion years, filled with life that makes our existence possible. So thank you, Ocean. <laughs> I, I don't have to justify for any reason more than I am here because you, Ocean, you living Ocean, have made my existence possible. Sylvia has been diving and exploring the sea for nearly five decades. In that time, the ocean has changed immensely, and so is the technology that makes deep-sea exploration possible. So in 1979, you became the first woman to walk on the ocean floor. Can you talk about what that was like and, and how that was possible at the time? As a scientist, I have participated in many expeditions where the way to discover what's deep in the ocean is to drag a net and bring the crushed remains up to the surface. And like a detective, you try to figure out oh, what what is, or rather, what was this creature. Well, to be able to go into the deep sea in a suit where inside the pressure is the same as on the surface, one atmosphere, I was able to go down to 400 meters, walk around on the ocean floor, come back to the surface without decompressing because I didn't have to. Inside, it was at sea level pressure. And the joy of being able to spend hours on the bottom to look around and see creatures in their own natural state, to look at the little jellyfish as they were pulsing by, to see fish with little lights down the side swimming, and, and a giant rays that stay on the bottom. One of the things that I most enjoyed by being out in, in an almost totally dark environment, it was a midday on the surface, like plenty of light as I was descending into the deep. But as I got down to 100 meters and then 200 meters, light basically almost disappeared. And where I was on the bottom, I could just faintly see the difference between up and down, kind of a deep gray above and black, black, really at the bottom. But the, the living light of the creatures illuminated the darkness. It was like a galaxy of small creatures doing their flashing and sparkling. But there were corals, bamboo coral, that grow in, it looks like a giant bed spring. Instead of branching, they have just one solitary spiral from the seafloor up to a couple of meters high, taller than I am. But when I touch them, they burst into light, little, little circles of light that pulse from where I touched all the way to the to the top and all the way down to the bottom. It was like like a carnival of light because of the bioluminescence these creatures possess. And when you talk about going to the place and and you know being able to explore it personally, what was it like for you to enter the field of marine engineering, you know, way back way back when? Well, I work with engineers to solve the problems. So I'm the beneficiary of that and working with engineers to say, I, I pose a problem. How do we, how do we sit inside of a, a little sphere and make it so simple to operate that even a scientist can do it, you know? 
<laughs> and together we figure it out. And they have skills that I don't have. I perhaps have some learning, some knowledge that they don't have. But, you know, exploration, uh, taking care of the world, it's, it's a team sport. So, so can you talk about the different underseas vehicles that you've helped engineer and the, and the impact that they've had on your work? Uh, teaming up with engineers to craft a vehicle called the Deep Rover, the idea that we now had new materials instead of a steel ball with a tiny little window using new clear materials, acrylic materials, to have a clear sphere and experience what life in most of the world is like. Huh. And the privilege of being able to not only have a hand in, in designing and developing, but then using this little device, the deep rover, to go down by myself into the depths. You know, it was a dream come true. And it's a dream I want to share with the rest of the world. I want to be able to take kids down and it's hard if it's a one-person system. So what I'm working on now with deep ocean exploration and research, my daughter and my son-in-law and a team of engineers to craft three-person system that a seasoned engineer or pilot with two passengers, any of them can take the controls and do as I did, feel that that ability to move the craft wherever you want to take it to explore the ocean in the deep sea. The dream continues, not only to go by myself, to be able to share the view. Would you want to go? <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would go if, uh, if there was space in, in the submersible, you know? I'm, I'm interested. And now a brief pause. If you want to meet all the other environmental leaders that Rolex supports, and learn how they're creating lasting solutions to protect our planet, check out rolex.org. And for more on how you can affect change in your own community, follow the hashtag perpetualplanet. Sobia's goal with Mission Blue is to get other people to care about protecting and conserving the ocean to recognize the ocean as something that sustains all of us. Why do you think it is that public consciousness doesn't really extend to our waterways? You know, like, why do humans not care about the ocean as much as, as the land? There is a widespread perception that the ocean is too big to fail. It's so vast. It's, it just seems impossible that Mere humans could alter the nature of the ocean. We know otherwise based on the evidence that has been growing in my lifetime. But people still somehow see the surface, and it looks pretty much the same as it always has. But those of us who've had the opportunity to dive beneath the surface can see the change, measure the change, look at the evidence. I feel like there are a handful of issues that are super popular, you know, like plastic in the ocean and things like that. And I'm sure that they do impact ocean life. But what actually, you know, has the biggest impact? Well, I can sort the many things into two categories, what we put into the ocean and what we take out of the ocean. So what we're putting into the ocean through burning fossil fuels, releasing methane, 
carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We're warming the planet, changing the temperature of the planet, changing the temperature of the ocean. Essentially, it changes everything. Changing the chemistry of the planet, changing the chemistry of the ocean, changes everything. When did you first receive Rolex's support? And what does it mean to be a testimony? Well, 1970, when I was chosen as an aquanaut and a team of women joined the other scientists and engineers as part of the Tektite project, uh, the, the women's team were given Rolex watches to wear during our time submerged for two weeks. We all needed a timepiece. It's, it's a vital part of diving to know how long you are at a certain depth. It's, it's just a critical piece of equipment. So that's when I first had my first Rolex experience, 1970. But it was about almost 10 years later when I made the dive in 1979, wearing my trusty Rolex to be solo at 400 meters down and was asked to serve on the jury for the awards for Enterprise. And that's one of the activities that Rolex engages into to dignify and give awards to individuals who are outstanding in various areas in science and conservation. I was asked to be an, an ambassador for Rolex at that time. Rolex as a company has supported exploration, research, conservation on many fronts around the world of people who have been given a lift because of grants that Rolex has, has given over the years. And Mission Blue has been a beneficiary as well of the support that Rolex has given to help develop this network of hope and to support the Hope Spot champions in in the work that they do. Yeah, can you talk about uh, any other Rolex Award uh, Enterprise laureates that you've collaborated with or that you've been able to meet with the support of Rolex? Like who else uh, from the Rolex community have you worked with in this field? Oh, well, there's so many over time, but right now, for example, Barbara Block, who works with tuna and sharks and other large migratory animals, is a Rolex laureate. One of the programs Rolex has every two years is to identify individuals who are special, outstanding in their various disciplines. And Barbara Block is one of those who, through her research, really changed the way we think about the habits of these big migratory animals. And she outfits them with instruments so that when they dive, we get information about what happens to them physiologically and also the nature of the ocean. Another scientist with whom I have been working and for whom I have great respect is Vreni Hauserman, who's a Chilean scientist who's worked with the fjords that are lining the uh, coastline of, of Chile. She's been observing life in these fjords and discovering that every one of these amazing places has unique forms of life. 
that in recent times have been succumbing to salmon farming and, and other human impacts. And she's doing everything she can to learn what lives there and at the same time to bring about protection for them. And she is another Rolex laureate who has been um, recognized as a champion for, for nature, for, for science and conservation. Despite the real challenges facing the ocean, Sylvia is confident that the next generation of conservationists is actually the luckiest one yet. I'm, I'm curious, I mean, how do you find optimism when there's so many signs of decline in the oceans? You know, how, how do you find hope for conservation in the ocean? I see hope in the fact that protecting places, whether it's on the land or in the sea, it works. Recovery is possible. It's happening. I don't expect any place to be able to go back to what was. But it's thrilling to see the numbers, the diversity, the size of creatures increase with care. We know it's possible because we can see it happening. And I see it especially with the kids coming along. That they don't know what impossible is. They look at the at what exists. Oh, so we still have 10% of the sharks. They're not all gone yet. There's reason for hope. Let's get busy. The joy that I see in the kids, it, it really empowers me. It inspires me to keep going, to do everything I can, to give them a lift, to continue to build new equipment, to go to new places, to engage them, to share what I've learned, and to get them to go learn for themselves. This is the time of, of greatest exploration ever as we develop the technologies and as we have this will to want to, to go and to do and, and to protect what remains and, and make the world a better place. So what piece of advice would you give to the average person about how they can keep our planet perpetual? I want to ask individuals to ask themselves what can I do, knowing that no one can do it all, but everyone can do something. You can make the choice. You know, that's the thing. I think 21st century people of all ages, whoever you are, wherever you are, we have the gift of knowing what could not be known before. That is superpower. And it's really important to use it, not just sit on it, because that's a choice in itself. To know you have the power to, to save something or, or to make a difference or to, or to inspire people and then not use it, that's a choice. So you can be a part of the solution or you can be a part of the problem. And mm -hmm. everybody has that choice. And every day, every day, it's a new chance to make the world a better place. That was the incredible explorer and oceanographer, Sylvia Earle. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. To learn more about how you can take action to protect the ocean, visit mission-blue.org. 
Be sure to catch the next episode when I'm joined by Argentinian conservationist Pablo Garcia Borboroglu, whose co-workers are penguins. You can learn about the next generation of the Rolex Awards for Enterprise Laureates at rolex.org.